Naturally occurring black pigments in vegetables, spices, and seeds have been found to have powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and I'm excited about what I think may be the next big thing in anti-inflammatory supplements, a brand new, all-natural daily preventative against a host of possible inflammatory issues. Black for Health Liquid Extract from Future Farm Botanicals. Black for Health combines four plant-based foods, black garlic, black radish root, black cumin seed, and black peppercorn containing high levels of body-ready healing botanicals. Black for Health supports your liver, skin, cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight management, circulation, and immunity. It's a tasty supplement with liposome complex for optimal absorption. For more information, order order. Call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuture. Farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. The book we're talking about today is Am I Dying? Should you chill out or freak out? Uh, as I said to our guest, uh, boy, I wish I'd thought of this title because it's a great hook for talking about uh, a variety of symptoms. And uh, what do you make of them? Uh, symptoms like, well, you know, I can look at uh, the chapter heading in here. Uh, we talked about uh, forgetfulness. Uh, we've talked about um, unintended weight loss, uh, going through some of the symptoms here. Uh, what if you find uh, that you're uh, experiencing nausea and vomiting? Uh, or yeah. constipation, or back pain, or mm, shortness of breath, uh, leg pain, swollen feet, uh, itchy skin and rashes. Well, you know, what are the potential meanings of these conditions? Do they uh, portend some kind of horrible outcome for you? Or, you know, are they transient conditions that can easily be treated? That's the theme of the book. Uh, before we get to uh, some additional conditions, uh, Chris, um, I... I, I noted in, in talking to you a little bit before the show that you're completing a very arduous uh, training program uh, there. What, what's right. it like? Uh, you went to med school, and that's a four-year program. Uh, yeah. And then what do you what do you do to complete your medical education? It's an embarrassingly long road um, for doctors to get trained these days. Um, but the good news is, by the end of it, uh, you have seen and done a lot. So. Uh, the typical physician, after completing four years of college, goes to four years of medical school, um, after which one becomes a intern for a year. That's uh, AKA slave. The term, yeah, the term <laughs> intern sort of conjures up like an unpaid lackey at a business. Uh, an intern in the hospital is still a lackey, but they're paid and they are doctors. So uh, remember that. Um, yeah, after I think I, intern- I think I remember being paid. I think my was my paycheck was about fourteen thousand dollars per year. <laughs> I think that yeah. worked out to about 93 cents per hour that I spent during <laughs> hey, my 110-hour well. week. Well, it was a 110-hour yeah. week. so Yeah, so that's uh, a pretty grueling time, as I'm sure you recall well. Um, after internship, one does a residency, uh, which can range uh, in duration from another two years, in the case of internal medicine or family medicine, to another... Uh, I think it's six or seven years in the case of neurosurgery and, and cardiac surgery. And then after doing residency, at you know, which point you're anywhere from three to eight years out of your medical school, uh, many people opt to do a fellowship, which is even further training, uh, which can be one, two, or three years in a sub-specialty, and you come out of that uh, 
you know, highly skilled and ready to take on your first job in your mid to late 30s. Now, you know, six and ready to pay off your medical enormous school. medical debts, uh, your medical school yeah. debts. Yeah. So, um, so it's a long road and it requires obviously a, a passion for what you're doing, uh, commitment to your patients, but, uh, it uh, leaves you pretty well trained at the end of it, I usually. Well, I wanted you to comment on a, a recent development, which is in the headlines this week, which is that the World Health Organization has recently uh, recognized uh, a new ICD-9 code, as if we needed more. I think we already have uh, yeah. 120,000 of them. Uh, but it's for a condition called burnout. They've actually yeah. recognized burnout uh, as a true uh, psychiatric entity uh, yep. for which you can code and obtain reimbursement and treatment for it. And I find it ironic that uh, the very profession that has decided to enshrine burnout as a medical diagnosis uh, subjects Probably its... Probably suffers uh, from it the most. Yeah, right, exactly. Subjects its trainees and indeed, you know, the professionals who deliver day-to-day uh, -day care to burnout. Yeah, well, um, I think most physicians, you, me, and and most others who are listening understand that uh, burnout is uh, very, very common. Most of us have experienced it at some point in our lives. It's, you know, this feeling that the the work that previously gave you joy and satisfaction has just become too much and you feel like you can't do it anymore. Um, I, I think the statistics that something like half of physicians uh, experience mm -hmm. burnout yeah, during any statistic. given year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and people have looked at what the reasons for that might be. And I think in, in medicine, a lot of people blame it uh, not on patient care, which is usually the reason people get into medicine, um, however grueling it might be, but all of the bureaucratic work that now comes with the practice of medicine, all the paperwork and prior authorizations mm -hmm. yep. and sort of unfun things that uh, doctors have to do over the course of the day. I think um, an antidote so to a burnout, though, is something that you've engaged in, which is a creative endeavor, uh, writing a popular yep. book. You know, so, yep. uh, you know, it sort of enables you to kind of lift your head out of the day-to-day -day, uh, realities of uh, the challenging medical scene yep, in a busy absolutely. hospital and and write something for the public, you know, which is a little bit of what I do with uh, this podcast. Yeah, you cer you've certainly done that in spades as well, and, and I agree. It, it's if you can find some sort of create, creative outlet, something that you're excited about doing each day that's sort of different from your routine, uh, it can certainly help. Um, but, you know, but people need to recognize that burnout is real. And, um, you know, the vast majority of doctors are really doing their best, but it is tough work. And uh, I know there's been research looking at burnout and medical errors and burnout and um, sort of poor patient care, and the two are definitely related. And... Um, you know, as we think about reshaping healthcare in this country and, and new systems of care um, that various politicians are proposing, it's something that needs to be considered and addressed because if not, it's going to keep causing problems. Yeah, and uh, if your doctor's not happy, uh, it's not likely you'll have a happy outcome. Uh, yeah. So let's, Chris, let's get back to work because, uh, you know, after that digression, uh, we need to get back to... Uh, <laughs> something more happy. Right, or, or uh, something that potentially could engender burnout, which is talking about patient problems. Um, here's, uh, actually, this is uh, uh, an instance that occurred uh, to a family member. And interestingly, he's a physician. Um, he began to, he's an inveterate skier uh, mm -hmm. and usually hits the slopes. And he's been noticing that, you know, as he's now in his 70s, his uh, skiing performance has declined a little bit. Uh, he recently came back from a ski vacation where he was at Aspen 
uh, at an altitude of, I guess it's about uh, 8,500 feet there. Yeah. Uh, and on the slopes, you know, once you get up there, it, you know, it could be 11, 12,000 feet, um, that he was really too breathless to do any kind of skiing. So he spent the entire, uh, expensive ski vacation sitting around, uh, reading novels in the, oh, no. in the ski lodge. Um, he, so. The most expensive novel he's ever read. Exactly. But, um, so, uh, he was quite concerned about that. Um, yep. what are some of the possible, uh, scenarios that can come out of that yeah so uh altitude sickness um is something that affects most people uh that travel uh to to altitudes like whether they're skiing or they're like mountain climbing or uh just traveling to a city that's at a very high altitude and um many people will experience a little fatigue and headache uh during the first day or two as their body acclimates um you know basically the underlying problem um is that the pressure of oxygen in the air at higher altitudes is lower. And so sometimes because of that, you breathe a little faster to kind of keep up more oxygen into your body. As you breathe faster, you blow out more carbon dioxide, and that kind of shifts the acid-base balance in your body. Um, and as your body compensates for that, you, you may have some symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, if you have underlying lung disease, the drop in the oxygen concentration can be a real problem. Um, so... People with um, asthma, people with um, lung disease, like chronic lung diseases, like interstitial lung diseases, can can have a lot of problems um, when they're at high altitudes. Because just like you know, uh, unlike in an airplane, which pressurizes the chamber, when you're up at the top of the mountain, there's there's nothing helping you, and it can unmask um, some problems uh, that may not be evident at low altitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in the given instance, you know, this guy is well-connected, he's a physician, uh, mm-hmm. retired at this point, but uh, he had, you know, the Million Dollar Workup, and I think he even went to uh, Columbia to get an opinion. Um, what uh-huh. the biggest concern was, you know, maybe this is the onset of a valvular disease, right? Because when uh-huh. the heart valves aren't holding the blood back uh, properly and you have uh, something like uh, aortic uh, regurgitation, uh, yep. you might uh, be experiencing increasing shortness of breath. In fact, that's how it sometimes emerges that uh, people like Mick Jagger uh, need a Tavers procedure. Exactly. You know, maybe he was jumping around uh, the stage during a rehearsal and, you know, he couldn't do his usual gyrations. And that was, yeah. uh, you know, that was that. So that's uh, a good example of uh, a lung problem becoming evident at high altitude. So in this case, you know, the lung problem is not coming from a a problem intrinsic to the lung itself, but rather from a heart valve, for example, or heart failure or anything in the heart, um, which can cause fluid to back up into the lungs and can um, interfere with normal gas exchange when you take a deep breath in and out. And, um, you know, you can be fine, you know, in New York City, uh, but when you go over to Denver, um, your lungs, uh, you know, being compromised in the way that they are, can't keep up anymore. So, um, you know, that can unmask the problem. So was your friend or your colleague diagnosed with a heart valve problem after all? Well, it was interesting. What happened was they couldn't really find anything wrong. And Mm -hmm. so he was left to his own devices. And what he decided was, 
uh, I've been sitting around like a lump of lard, uh, especially now that I've been uh, retired, uh, watching yeah. too many Yankee games uh, and sitting on my duff in the in the ease, in the Lazy Boy. Uh, he embarked on an exercise program and a diet program, uh, lost about twenty five pounds. Uh, the last I talked to him, he was walking nine miles a day as part of a daily uh, exercise regimen, wow. and uh, it 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 gave him a jolt. Uh, but fortunately, I think. Uh, the answer is that there wasn't anything really insidious going just on. Just out of shape. Yeah, and, uh, just deconditioning. The out yeah. of shape became even worse when he was yeah. up there. Yeah, and it manifested uh, more. And, you know, as you get older, sometimes it uh, puts more of a burden on your circulatory system to schlep around 20 or yep. 30 extra pounds. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's certainly possible. I, I think it was good for your friends. Best possible outcome. Something like that to... Right. Um, to, to check things out and make sure there's no underlying medical issue. But, yeah, um, it was a teachable moment. Yeah. Yeah. And has he uh, been back up on the slopes since? Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, next season. We'll see. The next unless, test. Yeah, yeah. Unless he goes to uh, the Andes or something over the summer. Sure. Uh, here's another one, and, and kind of a related problem. Uh, swollen feet. You know, in this warm weather, a lot of people yeah. get swollen yeah. feet. Uh, you know, they sometimes will take their shoes off and they'll, their feet are all red and maybe there's a little yep. indentation when they push in around, you know, their feet or their ankles. Maybe it extends yep. up to their, uh, you know, mid calf. What's up with that? Is that potentially a normal problem or is it worthy of medical consideration? Yeah, another extremely common symptom and, and one we cover extensively in the book, um, swollen feet. So, so as it's getting warmer, people are uh, wearing open shoes or sandals and they're looking at their feet and toes a lot more than they do in the winter when they're wearing big boots. It's hot um, and the, the, the feet expand sometimes in heat. Yeah. So, so number one, you just see your feet more. So you, a little bit of swelling may, that you may not have noticed other times of the year, you may just see more in the summer. Um, if you're standing up more, if you're traveling, you're on your feet more, um, you know, the longer that you're vertical, uh, the more likely you are to get a little swelling in your feet at the end of the day um, as uh, gravity just sort of keeps the fluid down there. Um, but what's not normal is to have fluid uh, in your feet at the start of the day um, mm -hmm. when you wake up and get out of bed. And it's also not normal to have so much fluid in your feet that you can sort of press your thumb or your, any other finger into the skin. And when you move it away, there's an impression still. Mm -hmm. Um, of, of that, we, as you know, call that pitting. Um, and it's certainly not normal to have swelling that goes up, you know, above your ankle into your calf or, God forbid, your thigh. Mm -hmm. So when we see that, and uh, doctors uh, encounter it often, as I'm sure you have thousands of times over your career, there's a lot of things that we think about. Um, as a cardiologist, of course, I'm wondering about the heart um, mm -hmm. because any uh, problem in the heart can cause pressure to build up in the veins and that pressure gets transmitted all the way down to the legs where uh, blood can't enter the veins as efficiently and fluid kind of leaks out into the legs and causes swelling. Um, but there's other things, too, that can cause that um, problem with the veins themselves. So mm -hmm. as we get older especially, uh, the veins that uh, drain blood away from our legs can start to fail the valves that sort of keep mm -hmm. fluid in the veins from leaking back downward away from the heart can fail and, and that's, so, that's a, pro a natural problem that's associated with aging it doesn't necessarily require uh, immediate medical attention nope. nope doesn't require attention unless of course the swelling is bothersome or it's so severe that the skin starts to break down mm -hmm. or there's just a cosmetic issue mm -hmm. um, so so problems with the veins are very common um, problems with your uh, liver um, and your kidneys yep. can also cause mm -hmm. your legs to swell up. Yep. So if your liver is not working so well and you're uh, not making enough uh, protein um, 
uh, sort of the chemical forces in your blood and the fluid outside of your blood vessels can get screwed up and cause more fluid to stick around in the skin. Um, same with the kidneys. Um, if you're peeing out a lot of protein, as people with kidney problems sometimes do, um, that balance in, in inside and outside your blood vessels can get screwed up and fluid can stick around in your legs. Thyroid problems, low thyroid mm-hmm. function yep. mm-hmm. um, can cause swelling down there. Um, and, and those are, I would say, the main things uh, that doctors are thinking about. If you have a uh, swelling on just one side, yeah, like that that one in, that in itself is a little more insidious, right? And that yeah. could be a portent of something uh, bad. Yeah. So if if one of your legs is swollen and, and the other leg is not, and that's a, a new problem, uh, it could just be that there's a, a vein issue you never mm-hmm. notice on the yep. one side, but it could also be that you have a blood clot in the mm-hmm. leg on yep. one side, which could be dangerous. Um, could cause uh, you know life-threatening yeah. pulmonary embolus if it travels to the lungs. Yeah. So um, so those are you know the main things that uh, we as doctors think about. You know, as as a person, e- even with cancer, legs. because a cancer could you know yep. compress uh, one. Uh, lymphatic or one uh, venous yep. uh, return pathway and then cause the swelling. That's a possibility, too. Yeah, definitely possible. Less common, thankfully, than the other things, but it definitely happens. So I, I would say that, you know, if somebody's looking down at their feet and they look a little puffy to them or they think they're having cankles and they haven't been gaining weight generally, like, you know, in other parts of their body, um you know, what they should do is, number one, determine, does it happen more towards the end of the day after I've been standing for a long time, and does it get better after laying down and sort of elevating your legs above your heart? If it does and the swelling is very mild, it's probably nothing to worry about. Um, if the swelling is there all the time or if it's, you know, deep enough that you can push in your finger, like I said earlier, and, and leave an impression, that's swelling that you should definitely uh, talk to a doctor about so you can have a basic workup for the problems I listed. Okay, here's another one. Uh, a tremor. Uh, you know, yeah. you notice that, uh, your handwriting is uh, deteriorating a little bit. Uh, you, you know, or, uh, as you, uh, grab that coffee cup, uh, you know, hear that, that clatter on the, on the plate below it. Uh, yeah. what's up with that? Does that mean you're inevitably going to get Parkinson's disease or some sort yeah. of, uh, you know, neurological condition? So that's, of course, what people rightfully worry about. Um, Parkinson's disease, uh, one of the main symptoms is tremor. Um, but thankfully, there's a lot of other things that can cause tremor, and uh, frequently, um, there are things that aren't so dangerous. Um, so number one, um, some people just have tremor that happens for no good reason and, and seems to be genetic. So mm-hmm. uh, sometimes people in Some their, of your fellow um, medical students who opted for uh, a career in psychiatry instead of surgery were maybe under that uh, <laughs> yeah, rubric, exactly. right? You know, it turned out that so, when they um, held a scalpel, it looked a little shaky. So, yeah, exactly. So in your 20s or 30s, often that's like when you're in medical school, um, you may notice a a tremor that usually gets worse when you're doing something. So it's not really present when your hand is at rest, but when you're, you know, lifting a cup of coffee or a spoon to your mouth, the tremor gets worse. So-called voluntary tremor. Yeah. Um, And uh, if you have a tremor like that and one of your parents had a tremor like that and the tremor gets better after having a a glass or two of wine. Mm -hmm. um, It's the so-called gunslinger effect. That's why they always hung out in the saloons before the gunfight, right? Exactly. Steady their hand. That um, that's something that we call an essential tremor. You know, you should still see somebody to make sure that's what you actually have, mm-hmm. but that's probably what you. It have. can be really bothersome, but it's not going to yeah. result in a uh, body-wide uh, deterioration uh, exactly. over time, and you know, threaten your life. Yeah, usually not a sign of something 
more dangerous, um, but it can interfere, obviously, um, with the quality of life. There's a couple medicines that you can take, something called a beta blocker, which is used for a lot of different indications, uh, can, can help with that tremor. Um, obviously, drinking alcohol every day is not really a good long-term solution. Mm-hmm. There's even um, some deep brain stimulation that they're talking about uh, pioneering yeah. to treat more severe cases of that. Yeah, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, for people who have tremors, there's all sorts of devices that one can use that sort of cancel the tremor. Hmm. You know, because the tremor happens at a fixed frequency, the devices can sense that frequency and, and create an opposite motion that sort of cancels out hmm. the, the tremor. And, and those are becoming more common, and, and that's great to see. Um, tremors that uh, you might worry a bit more about. So if you have a tremor and you're also feeling hot all the time and you're having diarrhea mm-hmm. and um, uh, maybe even having palpitations, that can be a sign, again, of thyroid problems. Hyperthyroidism, I yeah. hate mm-hmm. to keep bringing up the yep. thyroid, but yeah. uh, it yep. can cause a lot of different symptoms and, and a fine tremor is one of That's them. That's hyper with an ER, folks, because a lot of people hear that kind of yeah. quickly and they go, oh, I have hypothyroidism. No, no, hype. That's the opposite. It's a much rarer than hypothyroidism, but it can make you feel more ripped yeah. up. Overactive thyroid, for sure. Um, some people um, who have like problems affecting a part of the brain called the cerebellum, um, which is sort of the base of the brain, uh, that can get uh, disturbed in, in conditions like multiple sclerosis, um, mm-hmm. after like a head injury and other things, that can cause a tremor um, that uh, can get progressively worse, and it's something that a neurologist uh, will probably check out for anyone with a new tremor. Um, the Parkinson thing, um, obviously, it's concerning. That's unlike the other tremors that we described. That's a tremor that happens more at rest. So actually, while you're sitting quietly, um, not doing anything with your hands, you have this tremor, and it's it's sometimes called like a pill rolling tremor. Mm-hmm. Like you sort of rub your fingers against each other, and then when you use that hand, the tremor gets a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little more concerning, especially if you have other signs of Parkinson's, like your movements overall have become slower. You shuffle a little bit when you walk. Um, you know, uh, because there's so many different kinds of uh, tremor, and it can be hard for somebody with a tremor to, to figure it out, sort of, in any case, uh, you, something you want to see a doctor about. Mm-hmm. I, and, I guess there are benign causes. And I might suggest an, a neurologist, actually, because I have to say that with some yeah. of my patients, you know, even with my uh, internal medicine training, it they're a little bit hard. It's hard to discern, and neurologists are exquisitely attuned to the nuances uh, that distinguish benign tremors from something that is a portent of a more serious problem. Yes, there's a whole language about tremors um, in which uh, most neurologists are fluent. Uh, they can describe the frequency, when it occurs, uh, and what situations it occurs, and can help narrow down the diagnosis. But anyone with a tremor that has been evaluated definitely should get it checked out. And, and as you say, a neurologist is the right one to see. Okay, g- great stuff. And you know, there are many more instances of uh, situations like that. Uh, if you have a lump on your neck or a spot on your skin uh, or, uh, you know, any... A number of symptoms. Uh, these are addressed in the book, Am I Dying? Uh, great concept. And congratulations to you, Chris Kelly, and to your uh, co-author, Mark Eisenberg, uh, for uh, this. Uh, it, it's a great hook. It's a great way to uh, invite people uh, into a discussion about common medical problems. And uh, you did a really masterful job with the book. Uh, book is available, usual sources. 
Uh, and Chris, it, it's reassuring that uh, we're raising an entire new generation of uh, astute physicians like you. Uh, you're very kind. I Thank wish you, you all the best in your career now that you're going to uh, embark on, you know, uh, practice beyond uh, your initial uh, completing your fellowship training, which yes, I understand well, was this week, this very week. Congratulations. Indeed. Thank you. Well, thank you very, very much for, for having me on the podcast and for your kind words about the book. Oh, indeed. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. That's drhoffmanstore.com, drhoffmanstore.com.